We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured on Celluloid on Make Time for This, probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. Andrew, how are you doing? Good to see you, Adam. Um, I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Um, You know, ready to just chat about something even a little more off the beaten path than we normally do. Yeah, I'm pushing you a little bit further out of your comfort zone than usual, but I, I genuinely think this is a really important episode. This is something that's really important to me, and I've spent days thinking about it, and we'll probably spend months and years thinking about it until we get around to do it again. Um, It's been a little while since our last episode. I was unwell, unfortunately, for a while, so that knocked us out. Scheduling was tough, but movie talk is coming back. We have our next few episodes planned out. It's a busy time of the year. So plenty on that front on new releases and all of that good stuff still coming too. For now, though, we're going to talk about The Sight and Sound, greatest movies of all time, poll for 2022. For anyone who doesn't know what this is, Sight and Sound is one of the longest-running film publications on the planet. It is the British Film Institute's movie magazine. It's in a pretty rarefied air, um, a la kind of Coyote Cinema, who we talked about on our Goddard episode. This is one of the, I mean, the, the tone of it has changed over the years, but it is one of the places you would go to for serious film criticism, um, really taking it in as an art form more than anything else. And one of the things, I guess, for even more casual moviegoers that Sight and Sound has become known for is this uh, once per decade poll they run. They've run since 1952, where they poll film critics from around the world, academics, um, people like that. I think there's probably some festival curators also get polled, that kind of mix of people. And they have also a separate poll where they poll directors. And if it's a year ending in two, they then release a list 
of the greatest films of all time as voted for by these people. Started out in 1952 um, with a poll of a very small number of people in around 63 people. Um, and it has very gradually scaled up until all of a sudden it wasn't scaling gradually at all. And in the 2022 poll, the body of voters has increased significantly. It has diversified significantly. And 1,639 people were polled for this year's um, ballot. And it's been a great source of fascination for me as an avid film watcher. And I'm sure for some of you listening or reading some movies too, because one of the things you really get into film is, okay, it's this like vast thing. How do I get on top of this? Where can I find like where to start with cinema from this country or just with classic cinema generally? So reference lists are always good. A lot of people turn to the AFI list, which is, Again, a good starting point for a lot of stuff. It's maybe pretty flawed overall, but has a lot of good movies in there and you couldn't go wrong kind of checking your way through that. I think the one that has historically always been the most comprehensive and given you the widest kind of variety in terms of cinema as a medium worldwide is definitely the sight and sound list. So up until this year, there had only ever been three films to come out on top at number one. In 1952, it was Vittorio De Sica's Masterpiece of Italian Neorealism, Bicycle Thieves, which for anyone who hasn't seen Bicycle Thieves, this includes you, Mr. Snyder. Honestly, one of the most charming, joyous. It's also very sad, but there is something very just, I don't know, sweet about the film. Um, Truly brilliant film. That was number one in 52. From 62 all the way through to 2002, Citizen Kane was the only film to top the pole where in 2012, Citizen Kane was finally toppled and Vertigo came out at number one. And so coming into this year, the, all the buzz was, will Citizen Kane regain top spot? Will Vertigo hold steady? Will Tokyo Story finally break through and claim number one? And instead, number one was really a bolt from the blue. It was a real surprise. Um, a film that, by all means, has a colossal, colossal reputation and a growing reputation is what this would suggest. Um, but I, as much as there was some buzz that, you know, it could be on the rise, it wasn't necessarily something that people were going, oh, well, you know, the definite number one is going to be Jean Dillon. Jean Dillon is a film by Chantal Ackerman, the Belgian filmmaker, uh, released in the early 70s. It is a masterpiece of slow cinema. It comes in about three hours long. It is an observational account of um, this woman's day-to-day -day life in her apartment over, I guess, the span of about three days. Um, that involves a lot of kind of mundane, monotonous things that over time they gradually reveal themselves because we become accustomed to a routine and we start to notice what's off and what changes in her uh, it's it's a really great film, but it is not a film, for example, Andrew, that you're just like, oh, yeah, I just uh, just watched John Dillon there the other night. And that is interesting. And there's a lot about this list that is really, really interesting. Where I want to start with is, Andrew, before I said to you, oh, and I've been saying this probably for weeks or maybe months before I said we'll be doing an episode about this, the Sight and Sound poll. Had you ever heard of this? Is this... Something that without me bringing it up recently, do you think there's even a vague kind of, oh, I encountered this at some point in looking up some movie thing? 
I definitely knew it existed because of uh, Citizen Kane's run at the top. So I had known of its existence in, I think, maybe the first time um, that I discovered it or acknowledged that it was a thing was when I was doing a little research for our Mank Citizen Kane pod uh, on the, a previous iteration of this podcast. Still captured on celluloid, so it counts. Um, but beyond that, I have not I had not spent a single waking moment thinking about this list uh, until we get here literally now. And, you know, I think that's probably something that'll change because something like this can inform how someone that's interested in film, but is the everyman, such as myself, catches up on film history rather than doing the thing that uh we normally do which is like here's the director go watch a bunch of his movies yeah well look that is that is in part why i want to do this why i want to talk with some of the interesting results here because that is the purpose this serves uh i know when i first really got into movies and started kind of diving back into film history like that's in a way that i uh, what way will I describe? I just think it's a very natural way for someone from an English speaking country. You go back in Hollywood history. And for example, like that's the time where I'm like, Oh, taxi driver. And I see it for the first time. It blows my mind. It changes my life. Like when I think of my formative, like movie watching, I, I think that's honestly pretty reflective of the kind of the way you have become deeper and deeper into movies over the year, with you having some, more obscure stuff thrown in there because I throw you some grenades sometimes and you've got to kind of roll with that and adjust to that. But I, I think that's kind of the way it is for most people who really like film. And at some point there is an eventual next step. And I know this is something we've talked about in the pod too, where and we've talked about off pod where you'll be like, oh, there's like this filmmaker I've heard of, but I don't know where to start with any of their films. I don't know like what's good. How do I see them? All of this kind of stuff. And for me, when it got to that point, Sight and Sound was my guide. And it was always something easy to do. I remember back in the Filmstruck days, before that disappeared and Criterion Channel would ultimately kind of rise up. Me being like, oh my God, this is this well of like classic film, foreign film. Where do I start? What do I watch? And turning to sight and sounds and being like oh here's a guide well if this is a top 10 film of all time that seems like something i need to see uh actually i've never fully finished a list i'm gonna do it very soon because i'm very close with the current one very close to the previous ones i'm at like 90 percent uh i'm gonna fill in some of those gaps but it was always a great resource for oh i'm gonna check that out or as is often the case for example a bergman film i've never seen uh, Fanny and Alexander that I've always kind of had circled and been like I need to see that it's getting a theatrical re-release in a in a week and I've been like for a month out being like okay well I'm gonna go see that on a big screen for the first time um it's an all-time great and I haven't seen it before so like that is really useful and it's it's always tough they're great reference books too I can think of something like uh 1001 movies you must see before you die you know those books they have for like albums and they have for like beers and golf courses and everything. Um, those books have been pretty good too. That was a reference I know that I took and it's like, okay, not everything in there is perfect, but can give you a good guide. I have a really good New York times reference book. 
um, which is like a thousand movies in it. Stuff like this is always good. It's interesting, particularly if you want to look beyond your own horizons, look beyond your own lifetime considerably and go back into the past of the medium. And with that, that's kind of what the sight and sound canon has been. I mean, some of the knocks on it over time have been that it skews pretty comfortably into the past. Um, that it has leaned very white, that it has leaned very male. On those two fronts, I think they're fair criticisms, but I would also generally have excused them because the sad reality is that is the bulk of the history of cinema up to a point. And I think we're only at a place now where that is changing and the list can start to change into a different shape because works that didn't get the exposure they once did from women or from black directors now are able to find wider audiences and people are able to see them in a way that that wasn't always the case. But on the whole, I think this has always been a really interesting tool. And as I mentioned, Jean Dielman comes through and lands number one on this list for this year, which uh, it's causing a stir, Andrew. People who are into this, people who are into movies, are having a reaction to it for sure. In part, that's because John Dillman was 36 in 2012 when they last did this. And it is very much, it has been the case, top 10 change hasn't been all that plentiful over the years, even as the voting body has expanded. And it's kind of been a gradual, something might kind of slip out over the course of kind of 20 years, something might climb over 20 years. So for this surge to happen so suddenly is jarring. Uh, for to happen for a film that is honestly as radical as it is and is quite avant-garde is also surprising. I think it says something interesting about what a body of 1,600 critics want to represent the greatest films of all time in 2022. Um, but it's not just there that some of the changes can be seen. So one of the things, for example, that is... I think the average moviegoer who would drop in on this list from time to time would always have been like, I don't know any of these films. They're all really old. Where Where is this film I saw last year that I loved? Sight and Sound List has always resisted that. Big change on that front this year. Get Out is in at 95. Uh, Parasite is in at 90. Uh, Moonlight landed at 60 on the list. And in what is probably the most controversial of all, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is in a 30. 30, the greatest film of all time. Taxi Driver is 29, Eight and a Half and Mirror and Psycho are tied at 31. That's interesting. Like, let's, let's, let's unpack this one for a second, because that's a film we have talked about on the podcast. Uh, I think it's easily one of the best films of the last decade, probably one of the best films of the 21st century. I don't think its place on this list is necessarily like unfair, invalid by any means. 30 is high. 30 is high. And this this to me is the thing that happens. Now, I understand we're talking about a really kind of niche subset of people who are obsessive about movies. But when it comes to this stuff, uh, there's not really an audience that's more important for kind of building a canon. This reminds me of, you know, when we go through an award cycle and we're talking about movies and then the backlash comes around for something because it's been a front runner for so long. Portrait of a Lady of Fire is going to have to face a level of scrutiny that is insane for a film that was released, what, two and a half, three years ago. 
um, because it is now the 30th greatest film of all time, supposedly. It may be that. My feeling with this has always been there should essentially be a 10-year moratorium, maybe a 20-year moratorium, because I don't think you can know where something fits in a larger context until you reach that point. And I, honestly, the history of the list shows that some of the things that make it on in the early years, just kind of immediately after coming out, they disappear and are not thought of all that much really now. Where there are other films, a film like Vertigo, which has been a number one as a mainstay at the top. It took Vertigo some time to reach a place of critical approval where people are like, yeah, it's one of the greatest films of all time. So I don't know. When you look at this list, those four films are obviously some of the most familiar to you. They are all films we have talked about on this podcast. They're all films we really liked. What is your reaction to them being in the 100 greatest films of all time? As someone who hasn't like dived into all of the films on this list already, do you see them and that makes the whole thing more enticing, more inviting for you? Or do you feel a level of suspicion of, I don't know, this is very soon. I do, I do have a little bit of that feeling. Um, I think a, a moratorium would help, but I'm, I think I'm also not opposed to the dip your toes into the water aspects of some of the films that made it to the back half of the list. Of those, so what? There are four, I guess, newer films that made the well, list. Get out. There are four twenty. I think I have this right. Now there might be one more. There are four twenty tens onwards films to make the list i mean they're all in the 2010s N- nothing from 2020 um yes so, so moonlight get out portrait of a lady on fire and portrait of a lady on fire. okay so while portrait of a lady on fire is probably my favorite of the four and there are four movies that i do love i think it being at 30 is almost a disservice and an undue burden to the film itself and celine siam as a director because of just how soon, like to your point, that you're ready to just slap it in there? All right, this is in the top thirty, and I just to to that degree, I don't think we can know how it stands up to the entirety of film history, which is what this is trying to do, which is an impossible task because you've got people that were literally inventing a form and inventing filmmaking techniques, and you know, inventing just the direction in which uh, a script can go and just all the things that factor into what it means to make a movie. And how do you judge the pioneers versus the people that have taken the baton and, and, and run with things because to a degree, every film that's ever going to be made for the rest of time is going to be heavily borrowing or influenced from a different era of filmmaking. And to, to come at this with just like such and it recency bias isn't the right word, but it still is just, it's, I it's don't just know. it I've, feels premature. I mean, uh, like there are multiple things here in terms of the demographic that are pretty obvious in the voting, but uh, I think I've also been more explicitly stated one. And um, there's a greater female presence than ever before. That's a good thing. I, I do think that shakes out in the votes and you can see a very conscious effort to get more female directed films into the list i don't think that's a problem like i i honestly i think this also could be something where this is a jolt but in looking back through 
I, I looked back through the lists from 1952 onward. There are other instances of this. For example, Japanese cinema was grossly overlooked for a long time. And I think that's probably mostly because it was not reaching Western audiences, Western critics in the way that it probably was from 82 onwards, certainly 92 onwards. So all of a sudden the stuff right by Ozu or Kurosawa, which is like no brainers and mainstays of the list since like they came in where they were nowhere to be seen, even though they'd been out for 30, 40 years. So there have been times where you see this kind of wave, this breakthrough where it's like all of a sudden, okay, Asian cinema has a really arrived on the list. I think that stands for female filmmakers. And there's parts of that, like John Dillman should be a mainstay. This should be very high in this. Whether it's number one, that's a different question. Uh, or whether it should be number one, that's a different question. Uh, Agnes Varda should have multiple films on this list. Cleo uh, from five to seven is, I think, at 14. That's great. Uh, the Gleaners and I, one of the more modern films to make the list too. Um, it's in I feel like it's around the 40s around the 50s somewhere there like that is pretty fantastic because The Gleaners and I is a film that it's not just 67's actually where it came in um, it's not just one of the best documentaries of all time it's not just one of the best films of the 21st century but it is really radical from a technological sense. It's all shot on like handheld digital camcorders. It is one of the most important digital films in terms of the shift of the medium from film to digital and a major, major filmmaker being like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going around with a camcorder and this is who I am now. Like, this is what my films are going to be. And here is how my films are going to be freed up by doing that. Like, I think there's a lot of that. That's great. There's certainly, uh, a greater influx like Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust is one in terms of bringing in a greater black presence on the list um, Charles Burnett has made the list of Killer of Sheep Tuki Buki uh, the Senegalese film by Jabril Joppin Bette it's gone from I think like 97 to 66 like there there are things there that I think are really interesting they're, they at uh, the same time feel like kind of a natural byproduct of okay well you diversify and you widen your voting bill and these things are going to happen and people are going to be determined to make these things happen but i also think they're really really healthy for what it normalizes by the time we get 10 years from now and this gets reformed again i do think the version of a canon that sight and sound makes and really that film more than any other medium has to kind of try to come to terms with it is particularly interesting because one compare it with other arts, like compare it with painting, compare it with literature, even music. Music is one that maybe you can make the case, but film is an industrial art form. Like the majority of these films, not all of them, but the majorities of the majority of these films are made with industry behind them. In some cases with government behind them, whether that's like early Soviet films and whatever it might be that separates them from a lot of what you're coming to in the first place. It's also really broad, really diverse language plays a factor in film that is different to what it does in literature. Sure. You can get a translation of a book written in a different language. And there are plenty of books that have been translated and sold a whole lot of copies. I can think of maybe the best selling book of all time is one that would uh, fit that bill. But 
being a visual and an aural medium, sight and sound, quite literally, film has the advantage of you can put something up on screen that can be in another language and your subtitles are going to help you, but the visual is going to carry it. So you've got this really wide, diverse range that you're you're pulling from. And there is also something then with, it's not the case for everything, but for a lot of film, there's greater accessibility now than ever before. So the options for what the film canon looks like is greater than ever before. But this is also a relatively new medium. It is not painting is you're not going back to cave drawings you don't have renaissance work and so when you get a a body like sight and sound a publication like that and they're calling on like leading critics from around the world they're calling on academics these are people who are still like you're one two steps removed from the beginning of film as a medium still like it it is not that old we're looking right at the end of the 19th century when it comes into being we're looking about 110 years ago from when what really, I guess, is recognizable to most people as feature filmmaking starts to become something that is in existence. So you've got people trying to build something that is entirely representative of the massive, diverse history. And then you also have something that is the most, whether it's still the case, is definitely debatable and it's probably moved past it. But it was the predominant popular entertainment of the 20th century and trying to balance all of that i think is near impossible so i saw a lot of reaction to this from people who've obviously never looked at a sight and sound list before and don't understand its mission and it's like where's tarantino where's spielberg where's that's like they're undeniably great filmmakers and i don't think you'd find anyone voting on this list who's like they don't deserve to be there but the span of this for example is so much greater than the modern Hollywood canon, which is what you're talking about with directors like that. So the challenge is so vast. It's so great. And that is the kind of thing where I'm like, it does need to be something that is there as a reference guide and it introduces people to new film. I think the idealized version of it will allow women to see, oh, look at all these films directed by women on it. Like that is something that is aspirational for the sight and sound list and it's good to see we're making progress towards it. The same goes for people of color. I think my biggest issue on this list is the, the new editions. I, I honestly, I think it's just too soon. I did think one film from the 2010s was going to make the list, and that was Moonlight. I thought Moonlight is kind of beyond reproach, will probably come in in the 90s, and that will be it. Um, Some of the other kind of overhauls, like I approve of one of the things with more modern films. So number five, number seven, and number eight on this list. Um, I believe we're all on the 2012 edition. Certainly two of the three were. I, I'm, I'm certain all of them were, actually. Um, in the mood for love, rocking it up to five. No complaints. No complaints. Uh, it is certainly in what I, I, I shared on Twitter, what my sight and sound ballot would be if I had one. It was on it. It is probably in my five greatest films of all time. And 22 years after it was released... I think that's fair. I think that stands up. You've seen In the Mood for Love. I don't think you'd dispute it's among the greatest films you've ever seen. Like, just kind of on every level. So that's cool. There's been a bit of time. Beautrevai, the Claire Denis film, 1998. Again, Beautrevai, there's some time for it to breathe. There's time to build momentum. Seven feels high for me for Beautrevai, but I don't have a problem with anyone else feeling that way. It is an undoubtedly great film that belongs on this list. Mulholland Drive at eight. 
Uh, I think for a lot of people, it's their pick for film of the 21st century. Again, it just didn't happen immediately. It takes a couple of cycles, but Lynch having that kind of presence on the list doesn't feel wrong. Mulholland Drive is probably his masterpiece. That works for me. If 20 years removed, 25 years removed, Portrait from a Lady on Fire, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, was getting votes like that, and it's the 30th greatest film of all time, I think it's the 30th greatest film of all time. Like, it's a masterpiece. But you've got 100 films from the entire history of film. Like, you've probably got a 1,000 plus masterpieces, if we're being pretty harsh markers, to draw from. The bar is high, and I think it's that's something that is... I don't know. It's a little it's a little unsettling. It's a little skewed. It could just be a result of all of a sudden you've got over 1,600 people voting and there is kind of a betting in, but it is interesting. And then the flip side of that is where I think that's positive and someone who's maybe 16, 17, 18, really into film and they see films that they've watched in recent years, thought were great and maybe opened their eyes to movies and they're on a list like this. I do think the other part of that is John Dealman at number one is quite an interesting message like it's great i i have no issues with its greatness like if people want to say it's number one but when the press comes out around this list which it already has and interviews happen and maybe just people who are like oh i like movies what's this about a greatest movie list and they see john dealman at number one like they may not necessarily be looking to see citizen kane or vertigo or tokyo story at number one either but I, I think John Dealman is a level of kind of really pushing the limits of the art form where it being the greatest film, maybe. Like, I, maybe that's okay. But I do think it's also a statement from people voting on this list, people who are filmed to their core, their livelihood is filmed, their passion is filmed, that collectively they have put that as number one at a time when Movies are becoming more niche. I don't know if you think I'm overthinking that element. Like, do you have any view on that reading of it? I don't know if you've, maybe you've heard me mention at some point, maybe you've come across it. Had you heard of John Dealman before this? Like, you are not someone who knows nothing about movies. Not at all. Like, Did, didn't know, didn't know what you were uh, talking about. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I just think that's interesting. Like, because it is a time where there's so much talk about, you know, the future of movies and how movies are going that in a list where like there are heavyweight staples that are undeniable that have consistently been up there and something like 2001 a space odyssey is there at number six singing in the rain at number 10 like there are lots of things that people know the godfather at 12 like it's not like those films are absent here that someone would look and be like i don't know any of these movies um i just think that's that's an interesting wrinkle maybe i'm overthinking that but i do kind of read it as something of a comment on how film critics and some of the best and most esteemed film critics on the planet must kind of engage with or view film or the things that are speaking to them about the medium in 2022. Well, the one thing that I keep thinking about as you go through this is talking about the how long the medium has existed in comparison to other art forms because what does this mm-hmm. list look like in 50 years because there are some movies that you and I are seeing right now on this list where we would say you can't have a list without this but people are going to keep making movies every year as they do and with some of these surprise inclusions it, the voting body seems to be willing to add a film to this collection uh, very quickly and eventually there's going to be things that get wedged out um, that I think will be surprising and cause a little bit of dis- discussion or there's just no more not as much room for new entries or it could just be something like I, you know more about the year to year shifting but there could be just a lot of shuffling in and out uh, depending on I guess who's voting in that particular time period but so it, it will be fascinating to see how the list evolves. And I think, to your point, part of that is a positive as we get uh, more films by people of color and women uh, made because we're hopefully shifting into an era where the white male-dominated directorial force is not like the the primary makeup of films being produced. But it just will be interesting to see what gets added to the list in 50 years and what we're talking about when you and I are doing this podcast in our seventies. Um, and, uh, I've finally caught up on everything on this version of the list. And I've, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you've given, you've given me enough homework to where I feel like I, you know, I have a good grasp on the history of f- filmmaking in the world. And it's just like, what, what matters to me now and what films are, are throughout history am I still holding up as like, to your point, this is important and meaningful pieces of film canon and globally, which is it's a tall order in general to, to really narrow that down. Yeah. And to zoom out again, I like, I do think the list is fascinating. And I, I don't know if that strikes you again as someone who's not necessarily been familiar with the shape of previous lists or haven't been looking at all of these films for years, 
but I, I do think it is a pretty eclectic and interesting geographical mix. You look through it and you see countries of origin that are very varied. Um, I think the one region of the world that is notably absent, and I have seen some grumblings about it, is Latin America. Um, and I think Mexico in particular, and when you look at some of the waves of Mexican filmmaking in recent years, like Quran is certainly one of the modern filmmakers too, where there are a couple of contenders that I think a Quran film could have made it here. Uh so we're talking you were talking about, you know, for lack of a better term, some of the film bros have like uh takes about this list. Sure. Um and you were t- and you were talking about or something made like I was thinking as you were going through this process, like what is the film that's not on this list that you know, I've seen uh, a few times and like it is kind of just like, yeah, it feels incomplete without it. And when it is Imam to Zambian. Yeah, that's I, I mean, that's the Quran that I that would be when I I can pull up and I can I can read out what I would have put on here if I could have. Uh, that was a very close miss. And it's also like I, the one thing you've got to factor in this too is something that we talk about when we do like our 10 favorite films of a year. Um, like sight and sound do encourage something personal. They encourage like, what are the films that like provoke a reaction from? We don't just want best. Like we don't want you to completely detach yourself from this and try to purely be like, this is the best because it feels like a truer best will be reached if you have a large number of people and they all look for okay, well this means something to me. This awoke this in me when it comes to movies. That's the one I was thinking of too though. Itumama uh, Tambian could certainly have made it in. Um, I wonder, like, eventually the top 250 made its way out for the 2012 poll. I hope that happens again, because that, that will be even more interesting. Like, there could be a whole lot of recent stuff that makes it in there, but also, like, what kind of films like that are on the fringes? Uh, I am assuming when the magazine itself comes out, which will be in the coming days, that kind of extended list should be in there. And I'll be very interested to see that. Uh, of the films that I personally would have wanted on this, if it was my version of it, seven of the ten made the cut, which is pretty good. And the seven that did make the cut all ranked very highly. Uh, so Vertigo made the cut. City Lights made the cut. Stalker made the cut. Singing in the Rain did. Taxi Driver. Bicycle Thieves. In the Mood for Love. Uh, the three for me are Paris, Texas. I just like... The, the best film about America ever made, like, and by one of the greatest international filmmakers of his era, like, should be should be here. It's easily for me in the hundred greatest films of all time. Uh, Come and see, which surprised me. I really thought Come and See would be on the rise, particularly in the current moment. One of the most harrowing, but also kind of mystical and hypnotic anti-war films, um, by Elam Klemov, and. The Tree of Life, which to me is the best film of the 21st century. And I know that is something that was remarked upon. Like, there are lots of notable filmmakers who don't have a film in the top 100. Malik seems someone who vibes with the list. <laughs> and there's no Malik film in the top 100. Uh, I thought Tree of Life had a chance. The other 21st century film, I think that it does seem off because it feels like the time has just about passed and everyone has settled into, like, yeah, that's the one, is There Will Be Blood. And, yeah. like, Get Out and Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Parasite landing on the list now before 
there will be blood like that that's just a little bit off and maybe that comes to again there's more passionate feeling for those films and to some of the people who are asked to vote like there's a deeper personal connection um but that's one where it's like i i think in time that will write itself that could be a vertigo situation where it's like might take 30 years but then that's just like a top 20 film all the time because it, it might be like that with some more time passed any others for you i was gonna you've been very busy and you've had a lot going on so i didn't want to press you with andrew i want you to come up with your 10 films that would make your ballot but you eat eat mama tambian obviously jumped out to you there are there any other films that you can think of uh i can even one thing i will say which is always interesting and this is not entirely new it's a little light on Godard. Like, not as much... Star de Cinema has always been a favorite on the list. Pierre LeFou is there. I think, did Breathless miss out this time? And Breathless was a film that, like, didn't factor on the list for a long time. Contempt is there, okay. Um, Maybe I've imagined this and Breathless is high, but I actually didn't think Breathless made the cut. It didn't. Anything, anything to you that you've seen that are, I know... Jack to me, Umbrellas of Sherberg. That's a, again, that was one that I just had to cut on my own preferences. Like, but anything you've seen that you're like, yeah, I think that should be there. Um, the wrong Bong Joon Ho was kind of my thought. I might have opted for something like Memories of Murder for him. Mm-hmm. Um, if it were me, uh, the PTA that I was thinking of was definitely There Will Be Blood. I couldn't. I couldn't really find a a Tarantino to to add on there. E.T. or Jaws, we did a podcast on those uh, a few weeks ago. I think I'd lean E.T. in terms of just... I think I'd lean Jaws for this. Oh, E.T. is my I... E.T. is my favorite, but I think like we can touch on the director's list briefly in a second. Jaws is on the director's list and consistently makes the director's list, not the critics list. That's interesting in its own right. I don't know. Is that just that you get you get to list ten films, and everyone loves Spielberg and likes all of those films a lot, but they're not necessarily in anyone's ten where they're like, "This is the film." Like maybe that's just the factor there. Um, like Tarantino, I think Tarantino suffers in a list like this because, for as great as he is, his films are built on pastiche, and I'm referencing a lot of these films that it's like, "Oh, are you going to put Pulp Fiction in?" And if you're putting that in, then are you overlooking like the Godard films he's referencing and what he's pulling from from for that? Or like I think all of those are interesting questions that can't be overlooked either. And even PTA, it's like, okay, PTA is not there. Altman's not there. <laughs> I'm rude to put PTA in, and there's not an Altman ensemble film there. Like that's kind of interesting too. So I I understand how that happens. I think Spielberg is a tough one, and Jaws not being in the top 100 particularly when like Get Out is in. We talked on our Us episode about like the influence of Spielberg on Jordan Peele. Like if you're Jordan Peele you, and you hear, oh, your film is in the Sight and Sound 100 for 2022, you must be like, what? And Spielberg's isn't? That must blow your mind. I don't know. One that is too early to make the list. Uh, definitely, but one that if you're t- having this conversation in 10 years, if it was in like the 90s or something, I would be really on board with. But I don't think it has a prayer. It's, it's something that 
has just continually aged so 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 well for me. I think I've seen it twice now. Um, and then I keep passing the Criterion in uh in Barnes and Noble and haven't picked it up yet. But is Phoenix Christian Petzold? Mm. I love that movie. Yeah, I, love uh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I don't think it'll has a prayer for a list like this, but that, it's just something when Andrew, you... that could be top 250. Like if they released the extended list, I would not be surprised if enough people. I actually feel like I've seen. I don't want to. I feel like there's a notable film critic that we both know and occasionally talk about. I'll, I won't name them on air just in case I've got this wrong, but I think I saw them release their ballot and they had Phoenix on it. I wouldn't be shocked if Phoenix oh. makes the top 250. Um, I think Petzold would need a knockout masterpiece that makes a lot more noise maybe than those films have. And then it could still be Phoenix, the film that gets on. But I just don't think he's... He hasn't elevated himself to like the Bong Joon-ho tier of international master filmmakers that gets you into the conversation where people be thinking, oh, should I have a Petzold movie? But I, I love that call. Like, one of the greatest endings of all time. Yeah, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't really find um. A a Linklater movie to put here as much as I would like to. It just I I didn't don't necessarily think it feels out of place without one. Uh, another guy that I was trying to, kind of make pieces work with was Denis Villeneuve. Um, and nothing really, jumped out at me. Um, there could be you know there could be a big enemy hive coming in the next uh. That would surprise you. So. Yeah, it would be very surprising. <laughs> if the, spider, the, the spider makes the, the sight and sound list. That would shock me. Um, yeah. <laughs> they let they let spiders vote in this? <laughs> like, uh, I think my absolute favorite filmmakers, if I was to like my four favorite filmmakers, none of them are on here. I, I, I think Malik is the only one where I really feel that's wrong. I, I think... Badlands is a great case to be on here. You could honestly, you could go with a bunch of Malik. Uh, Days of Heaven, I could see a case for too. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful films in terms of craft ever made. A Tree of Life is the one for me though that I just I think it's kind of I don't know it's it's pretty uh, transcendent. It reaches a level of poetry that not many films in this century have. I will never forget the first time I saw Tree of Life and just it the pure oh shit this is what film can be moment which is very hard to shake like and to me that's like it's one of those you see it and you're like well this is one of the greatest films of all time and since then i've probably watched about two and a half thousand films and it's still to me one of the greatest films of all time so while like the palma as much as i love him <laughs> he's too much of a sicko for a list like this uh trader trader's an interesting one mishima i think Machine is probably not out of place in the maybe top 250 and maybe makes that cut. Um, who else? I think it's not like Wes Anderson is not going to make a list like this. This one, again, I saw people and they're like, Wes, well, there's no Wes Anderson. It's like, yeah, there's not. And in part, that's because I think those filmmakers would be very quick to admit they're building on the blocks of a lot of what this list is. And it's fair that they're not there. Like the Again, maybe maybe 50 years from now, those people take their place there. But for example, if you're 
Wes Anderson, I don't think he would look at it and be like, what? I'm in over Max Ophels. It's like, I'm just ripping off Max Ophels or I'm ripping off Ernst Lubitsch. Like they're the kind of filmmakers. And I think there's an understanding from that level of director too. It's like, there's a place here. That's where some of the kind of the new additions, I think, jumble that slightly. And to quickly run through just some of the things that I do think are exciting. Some of the things that I think are kind of fun developments. Um, Studio Ghibli, big win for Studio Ghibli and for Miyazaki. Um, and just, I guess generally for animation, but Spirited Away and My Neighbor Totoro both coming in back to back. One in a tie for 72nd, one in a tie for 75th. That's really interesting and I think very, very cool and honestly well-deserved. I mentioned The Gleaners and I. I love seeing The Gleaners and I in there. It's a film that if anyone hasn't seen, I think it's like the perfect gateway drug to Varda, but it's just also so it's immensely enjoyable, just kind of as good as cinema can be at just being playful, at being inquisitive. Um beyond that I think it's a lot of it is the films that I really like the great films and you're seeing them where they are I think some of them have fell maybe a little bit too far others haven't probably the biggest riser overall very close to that um daisies might be the biggest riser to Virtutalova Czechoslovakian film do the right thing is very close though the other thing, rocketing up to 24th, is very interesting. And I, I think is one of those things as well. Like, I've already seen some of the stuff, which is in part probably lazy, but in other ways, there's probably something reflective, which is the ascendance of a lot of female filmmakers. Like, does Me Too have an influence on people being more determined to show the power and the influence of women on the history of cinema? Probably. Um, does... Black Lives Matter or just the general, I guess, continued awareness and movement for greater equality in the US and around the world for people of color? Like, does that have an impact on Do the Right Thing, a film that certainly got a boost during those protests because of some of the similarities in its plot and what was happening in real life? Yeah, I think so. It's also an absolutely phenomenal film. I think it's very cool to see Do the Right Thing get up to 24. Uh, Jacques Tati's Playtime. Door playtime in it. 23 is great. Um, Abbas Kiristami's close up. Don't know if you've ever heard of close up, ever seen it. Really, really highly recommend close up. I'll let people watch it and then work out like, is it documentary? Is it fiction? What exactly is going on there? But it's a pretty spectacular film. And as someone who loves Varda, like Cleo for 5 7 at 14, that's just great. Um, singing in the rain back into the top 10 it's been a yo-yo over time see it there is really really nice in the mood for love of five is pretty special i'm a vertigo guy so i would like to see vertigo hang on but at number two still still a very very strong position for it um let's briefly like there's not a whole lot really i mean on the director side 2001 A Space Odyssey at number one, Citizen Kane 2, Godfather 3, Tokyo Story, and Jean Dielman at four. Interestingly, Jean Dielman also rose very significantly in the director's poll. Uh, then Vertigo, eight and a half, Mirror, Persona, In the Mood for Love, and Close Up rounding out the top 10 with Taxi Driver in at 12. Always interesting. Like Breathless is 14th on the director's poll. Uh, taxi driver ranking much higher than Godfather at three, 2001 at one. It's always 
the director's one I think generally more closely represents what people like to feel like this list would be off their own back um, and I think it's part of that maybe that just some of the flashier elements that directors can often be drawn to or also what audiences kind of jump to and stick out in their mind Raging Bull at 22 Raging Bull fell off the critics list that was one of the the real kind of shocks and big omissions um, I'm trying to think what else Lawrence of Arabia fell off I'm fine with that honestly I think that's a film that has been canonized by the AFI list in some ways in a way that it wasn't quite deserved uh, good film but like all time important don't know but yeah Godfather like Godfather part 2's 26th Goodfellas at 28 like you I, I think you see a lot more of the influence you see more Godard you see more Truffaut uh, more Bresson, more Antonioni. The director's list is an interesting comparison. Even you get something like Come and See, which I mentioned earlier, it comes in at 41. So that's Don't Look Now, 46. Jane Campion's The Piano. Always, always intriguing to see the differences between them. Um, but overall, look, I think a good list, two good lists. I think a lot of changes that are really, really interesting that maybe 10 years removed and we see what the next version of this is, we'll also have a better read on what those changes actually tell us about where film was in 2022 and what people are saying about this. But yeah, was this worthwhile? Does this make any sense? I mean, part of this is me talking through all these things in my head, but for you, like, do you have genuine curiosity where if you're like, yeah, I have a couple of hours to kill, let's see what's on Criterion or any of these films there. Is that something that you could see yourself ever doing? Yeah, for sure. Um, and having this as a reference point definitely makes that easier for when I'm in one of my spells where I want to be productive. Um, now, whether or not this all makes sense or is worthwhile, Adam, that'll be up to the audience. They'll decide whether or not whether or not I, but i am the everyman audience uh, you're the proxy. proxy yeah exactly in this in this podcast so for me audience of one for this moment right now yes very worthwhile and i mean an interesting discussion about an art form that has evolved a lot in a short period of time in terms of human history and will continue to do that so the conversations about these lists are only going to get more interesting with time yeah and as much as we're all like whoa you know, films from the early 1900s, that's really old. It's not. Like, this is this is one of the youngest... It's the youngest established art form that there is. Um, and that is something that means it is still kind of very dynamic and evolving. The list reflects that, uh, I think, on that front. It all makes sense. All right. Next up for us, we're our next movie episode we have planned, we're going to do quick hitters on a trio of recent films we've seen. Um, we're gonna talk about After Sun. We're gonna talk about Armageddon Time. And uh, we're gonna talk about Stutz, Jonah Hill's documentary. I think that's what's up next on the docket for us. We've got some other things planned very soon. Um, you'll hear more about them probably in that episode. Also on this feed, we've got World Cup episodes coming thick and fast. Stay on top of all things World Cup there too. And there's so much movie fun to be had in the weeks and months ahead. It really is the the peak time of year. There are big movies that we haven't even got to pot about yet. We may get some of them down the line. Some of them may 
end up being kind of discussion points or end of year or Oscars pods, all that sort of stuff. But there's really a lot of lot of good film to be talked about, and I'm excited to do it. But it's fun to zoom out and be like, oh, we talk about, oh, this is a good film. This is a great film all the time. Like, what does that really mean? What does it mean in terms of the history of cinema? Uh, the Sight and Sound List tries, does its best to, to get to the heart of that. And it was nice to talk through it. That does it for us for this episode. For all things GSPN, go to gspn.info. You'll find all the rest of our pods, whether it's books, brewers, packers. If you're looking for the network, the details are there. I'm at Adam McGee 11 Andrew's at AC Snide, and we're on Twitter at Make Time for This. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>